Hello and welcome to What Memory, the podcast for survivors of stroke and brain injury. I'm Stephen Masters and I'm here with Josh Reed. We both had strokes. We want to share our experiences, find out how other people live with brain injury and investigate what's new in brain injury research. This is episode 10, the Hope episode. And we're joined by psychotherapist Lucy Felton, who has some pretty startling ways of looking at life after brain injury. As well as running a hugely successful therapy practice, she founded Brush Strokes, the art workshop for stroke survivors where Josh and I first met. It was definitely a massive thing for me being like, it was a place where I could be like, okay, well, I didn't have to be the person who had this terrible thing and I was feeling sorry that my family had gone through and had to look after me I could just be me as I wanted to be and as I had been and so I could almost pretend like okay well these are new people I don't really know them but we've got some common ground and I can just practice almost being myself. We once asked you um, what do the people at Brushstrokes have in common? all the people who've had strokes have in common. And your answer yeah. was loss. Mm. They all had loss. And I wonder yeah. if you just kind of explain what you what you mean by that. Yeah, so I think, um, you know, going through a, a stroke, um, you know, that's a big life-changing event. Um, and I think that there is, in regards to kind of experiencing loss, um, I haven't found a stroke survivor that, you know, hasn't experienced it, whether they've, uh, you know, named it as loss or not, but actually the majority of, of people kind of understand that, yeah, I ha- there has been some loss here. You know, I've, I could have physically lost um, an ability of my part of my body. I could have lost my memory. I could have, I've lost maybe my identity that I was in my kind of old self. Yes. Um, you know, I'm, I've lost my role in the family, um, you know, and actually now, some people might have lost relationships, you know, that actually that their wife, partner, husband is now their carer. And actually that relationship gets strained. Um, you know, you could yes. lost a job. That's a really common one. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, even things like loss of speech, you know, there's so and communication that's so vital and, 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 and that, that you're having to kind of rework your brain to, to, to use, you know, different parts of your brain to, to, to communicate differently. You know, actually, it's, yeah. it's, it's, that's kind of how I see, and actually loss of friends as well, I think sometimes, and like your group, that actually some people don't know how to deal with, like with, oh, that's like so with bereavement. True. They don't know how to, they don't know what to do, and they might not have experienced it before. And actually, if they're finding it scary of like, what do I do? That's probably because the stroke survivor is also like, I don't know what to do and I'm scared. And and you're all in this together. Um, but, it, you know, with like bereavement, the best thing is just to be that I'm there for you if you need me. And, you know, yeah. there's no, and there's no judgment and that we're on this journey together. And but I think that a lot, maybe groups of friends and family, they have fears and they don't know what to do. And especially when they want to help, and they don't know how to help, but um, it's just kind of education and knowing that professionals can help. You don't have to do it all. True. Because yeah. I, I found that um, I kind of really felt that that whole loss thing was was definitely going on for me. I just felt I'd lost so much. 
when I had the stroke, my whole way of life and the whole way of thinking and what I could do and my speech was a problem. It's better now, but, you know, even walking is now and my balance is gone and stuff like that. But it, it was very different from losing my parents, who are both dead now. There's a kind of sense of loss about them. I lost my sister to breast cancer many years ago, and there was this mm. huge sense of bereavement about that. But when you lose yourself... Yeah. As opposed to, but if somehow I could process the fact that my parents had died, it was kind of like, well, they were going to die anyway. And I knew it was, you know, it was a shock, but it, you kind of, you, you kind mm -hmm. of contextualize it with the rest of your life and the rest of humanity. But when you lose yourself and you can't find yourself anymore, that is a sense of loss that's completely yeah. different, isn't it? Yeah. And there's not, there's not a set format when, no, when someone, um, dies. There's a there's a funeral. There's a sense of oh, yes. structure to the steps of what happens next because actually, all you know, funerals are very similar in how they you know generally and and even culturally they will all yes. share a culture will share a similar type of funeral. But with a stroke and when you've lost your sense of self, you're an individual. So actually, there's no set way. There's no funeral director. There's no stroke direct. There's a stroke consultant, but they're going to tell you everyone's different and you're all going to recover Absolutely. differently. So how do you get a sense of closure and that I can move forward or um, a shared language that other people understand? Like they know what a funeral is. They send a sympathy card. They know yes. what happens. That actually, that every you know, and that's probably why other people around you feel lost too because they don't know what to do. There's not a, a book to tell you what <laughs> yes. to do. So <laughs> definitely something we should look at doing a guide. Yeah, gap in the market. A gap in the market for it. Yes, the guide to stroke bereavement. I think is is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's yeah, a really not. catchy one. I can see. I can see that really selling <laughs> on Amazon. Not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but, yeah. but for you, Josh, I think that that that, that sense of loss was. I think it's slightly different to mine and. Because you were going through an operation. Yes, yes. And so your lung transplant. You know, I knew this. Oh, well, I didn't know this was a possibility. I was like, either I would be absolutely fine and the transplant would go well, or that would be it and I would die and I would, um, that'd be it. But I didn't realize that I could be in this limbo, basically, is what I called it limbo. Yeah. Um, where sort of like I was alive, but I didn't feel like I was productive in member as a member of society or anything like that and you know like lose it. i think the biggest loss for me probably in the small term was the loss of driving because mm. for me that's that was driving was my passion it was like okay i love driving i love just being like oh i'm just popping uh, out and i'll you see me in a couple of hours and i would just go around the villages and i would just sort of drive everywhere because obviously i had uh, lung issues so i couldn't walk long way long distances yeah so for me it was that loss of independence it was like oh my god mm. i'm closed in i can't do anything i can't can't see anyone because i can't get anywhere to drive mm. and see them um so they all i was all reliant on them having mm. to do that for me and i just almost weirdly didn't feel like i was worthy of that at the time and so that was kind of like oh i yeah it, it was just it was awful and it's a lack, lack of autonomy, isn't it? 
You yes. can't make your yes. own decisions anymore. You can't just get up and drive whenever you feel like it. In fact, you can't even get out of your chair when you feel like it. In the first year, I, you know, I was I was losing the ability to kind of just think straight about anything at all, and that that is a terrible loss. And it's kind of interesting that the rite of passage that you have with a funeral for a loved one. Is is that kind of guiding light that you have that yes. gets you past it, isn't it? You go through that kind of ritual, a time on a yes. ritual of the burial and stuff like that. But when you have a stroke, you don't get any of that. You just sort of back left. back at home where you started that you know the month before you left home, and then you come back home a month later, a completely destroyed person. Mm. And there's, yeah. yes, and there's no ritual that takes you through that there's no rite of passage that just occurs and you're in the hospital and you get chucked out again yeah. and that's it mm. Mm. yeah and there's a similarity in the sense of that you you know you usually remember the the day that you had your stroke oh yeah 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 that one's cemented in there but the you know and that's similar with people have a memorial day but actually that's all you've got you've oh, just yeah. got that date you know, you don't have everything that was around it that maybe was the support, you know, actually, oh, thinking that, oh, it was really good to see so-and-so at the wake of that bereavement. Yes, you know, yes. like all those, a warmth kind of added. Yeah. Where you, yeah. you know, with a stroke, it's like, that's the day that everything changed. And there doesn't feel like this. It, I feel like that sense of warmth is so much more diluted and it comes so gradually and it's only when you get to a point maybe even like a year later and you can reflect and be like I have made this progress but you need to be in a strong place to understand oh, that you've oh made progress God. yes absolutely it, it definitely took me a couple of years to even look back and be like oh actually if I compare myself to my yeah. how I was just after my stroke when I woke up wow I wouldn't recognize the person I was but it felt like years and years and years to get to that point yeah and that is the point but yeah <laughs> and this yeah. whole thing that you once touched upon which was that kind of the grieving cycle that kind of loss yeah. cycle how does that work yeah. because it seems to be a, a kind of psychotherapist's wheel yeah. of understanding how this thing works which is completely new to me yeah so how does so, that work so um it was created by um, a psychiatrist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Um, so she created a model. And it's a, it's a well-known model, possibly in like psychology and counselling psychiatry worlds. And there's been other models that have been add-ons, et cetera. But this was kind of like one of the first. And um, it was a five-stage model. Um, but as you say, it's a cycle. So there was, you know, different stages. And uh, the first stage, there was kind of the denial you know, this can't be happening, um, you know, and also sometimes with the denial, uh, people have said, you know, there's a sense of shock. You know, actually, this can't be happening. I'm kind of, oh yeah, it's just, you know, I, I feel fine. Everything's okay. And then it's like, try and walk. And I don't know, it hits you again. Um, oh, yeah. And then you kind of, you've got your stage two, which is that anger, you know, like, it's not fair. Why yes. me? Why has this happened to me? You know, who can I blame? You know, yeah. and, and how, how, how have I got myself? You know, it, there's a lot of sense maybe in the anger of like the injustice of like, why has this happened to me in my... Why does the world when, hate me so much that yeah. they gave me a stroke? Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, yeah. Because you want you want to blame someone, you want an answer. That's yes. the, kind of the whole part of that. And and then there's stage three, which they describe as like bargaining. And it's like, oh, if I just if I just done that, then this wouldn't have happened. And yeah. I see that a lot with um, when a, a support stroke survivors, and I, I do exactly the same. And it's like you think about that week up to the stroke and you're like well I was unwell and I did have a headache and you try and have like a, oh if that if I'd just gone to the doctor then which is no you know reason of why you had the stroke like there is just elements of you're trying to claw onto kind of something of if if I changed that maybe this would have changed and you know we know that stroke doesn't discriminate and it's just gonna it's a life-changing event there's obviously risk factors you can avoid but yeah. for some for some people there isn't any and um you know and, and as like like you say josh you know those complications that you of your operation like you weren't really aware that they were gonna you know this was so unexpected and you know even if you'd learned about stroke you wouldn't have fallen into an age category of a risk or yes. you know all the extra things so um, and, that, and that's the thing and that's the thing it's like i even well especially now at least I can say well I look back and I'm like do I wish I hadn't gone through with the transplant Mm -hmm. and I know I go 100% no I would still knowing now that there's a risk of a stroke I would have done it anyway because the number of people I've seen in my cystic fibrosis circle pass away because they've saw me and what I went through had stopped being on the transplant list and then subsequently died is uh, there's a lot a lot of people yeah. and now I'm here and I can yeah. actually do and yeah it's it's difficult for yeah. sure yeah and also you know not to I'll, I'll, I'll finish the cycle because I know what will happen I'll go off piece and um, stay and then there's stage four which is kind of the depression so you know when you really get those lows you know really sad about everything you know what's the point and and you know it, it, it's with depression sometimes it can get dark and actually you can be like, I don't want to be here. And, and it can also be frustrating for people when they are then very, they're like trapped within themselves and their, their environment and they can't even kind of move forward in any sense or even maybe communicate that I am feeling this low and they're just kind of stuck with that depression. But there's that sense. And then also it moves on to this stage five, which um, the Kubler-Ross model describes as acceptance. So you've got to this point where I've got a level of control in this. I am going to be okay. And I also uh, read a, a, another model that described that as adjustment. So if you can't feel like that you you you're acceptance, right. actually, you're adjust. You're, you've adjusted. You're at adjustment. That's good enough for you right now. Because actually, with a loss and with a bereavement, we can't always accept that that's happened. But we can kind of grow around it. And made like a new normal, a new version, a new chapter of our life, um, and that's that's okay. So yeah, with the that's the kind of the basic cycles and they, the, the cycle, and, and they basically the, the Cooper Ross says that you, you don't most people don't just work through it like that. Yeah. You can do, but you are, sometimes you'll go back. And, you know, years later, you might end up back at one, and 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 but there is that sense of that there is hope in this yes. cycle. And um, yeah, so I think, you know, even if you're reflecting on Stephen about earlier when you were saying that 
you know, you've, you'd lost your parents and there was a bereavement there and then there's a loss now with the stroke or what you'd experience of loss, you might be able to, you know, they're very separate, but these stages of this model, might you might be able to relate to both of those experiences. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes do, the yes. model can actually, it's more about the feelings. It's not about the events that actually sometimes the feelings and, and I think for me is in the very early stages of the stroke, when I was in hospital and just out of hospital, I I thought that I would get back to what I was. And that was my kind of goal. I thought, well, this is a terrible thing that's happened to me, but I'm going to start working towards getting back to where I was and now I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to you know carry on my life as I was before this has been this awful blip but we're going to get over it and um I had lots of support so that was good and I remember being in hospital and just sitting on my bed and practicing raising my right arm every morning as soon as I woke up I would practice 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 just to think I'm just gonna I'm gonna because I couldn't move my right arm and I was thinking I'm never gonna draw again and the brush stroke things, but um, I, yeah, but I got really worried about that. And I thought I've got to keep working at it, and I'm eventually going to get back to it. But much later, months, a year later, I realised I was never going to go back to what mm. I was before, mm. and that's when the cycle started. Whereas before, I'd been very gung ho that it would all turn out all right in the end. That acceptance yeah. bit, or rather, I suppose all of those things, the anger, the bargaining and everything else it took a bit of time but i began to realize i was going to have to accept that i was never going to go back i was never going to recover from this and that's when a sense of loss really kicked in i thought oh my god can i can i actually live with myself in this Mm. new altered state or is it so far so much of a loss that i can't actually cope with this anymore and that's when the depression really kicked in and Mm. i thought no this is you know, you can't live like this for the rest of my life. But uh, and you were doing kind of what any human would do, that they were looking for reference points in their brain of like, I don't know what the future holds, so I'm going to go back and be like, I want to be that. I know that. I know what Stephen was like. Oh, you're so right. You're so right. Yeah, I, I, I know that bit. So I'm just going to focus on that and it will be okay. And I'll, you know, and actually... In, you know, there's a sense of that might come in the denial, but actually it'll be fine. <laughs> yes, you're there. right, yes. <laughs> and then, but, but actually being able to kind of get to that level of acceptance, you know, you might have done a lot of that cycle, is when you thought, actually, I can, I'm going to have to adjust and grow around this and look, you know, think of all of the unique experiences that you two have been through since you've had your stroke that you would never have had. I always think yeah. about that, like the... the our life journey is so interesting what it throws up, but it's all about that experience and we'd never be doing this podcast, for example. This yeah, is very exactly. true. This is very um but it's 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 like Groucho Marx once said, um do you want to become a member of a club that would have you as a member? If you, if you can understand that. In a way I don't want to belong to this club. This is the Stroke Survivors Club, and I don't want to be here. I would like to be out in the rest of the world where stroke doesn't come into it. Brain injury is not a word we ever use, you know, and, because I never used it before. Yeah.
yeah, so Groucho Marx once said, I don't want to be a member of a club which would have me as a member. And uh, I kind of feel that about stroke. I don't want to belong to this club. I don't want to no. be in, I don't want my life to be dominated by the stroke. I, I, yes. I've, I've never really come across stroke. I never met anybody with a stroke before this. Brain damage was never a word we used at all in my family, you know, ever. And then suddenly it's, it's the all pervasive thing that's happened. And I, I don't, and I don't want this. I would like to go back to my old life, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and, and as much as I like you guys, I would, I really wish I'd never met you because <laughs> you're just confirmation that the stroke has actually happened <laughs> in a terrible, terrible way. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to get it out there because that's my sense of loss, I think, there, and, a, and perhaps a little yeah. bit of not quite denial, but um, certainly not quite acceptance yet. Um, yeah. And I, I think as well, like there's, you know, most people haven't heard or well, have heard of stroke, but don't really know what it is until they're at that point in their life or they're directly affected. And I think it can play into like your fears as well, I think, with yeah. what you thought stroke was. Like you say, you don't want to be part of the stroke club. Because actually, yeah. what was your understanding of stroke before, even if it was just the basic of it was an unknown? And there was the book that I mentioned, I'm just doing a bit of a, this book I mentioned before, um, Mindfulness of Stroke, which was a psychotherapist who had a stroke. She wrote everything in this book about oh, yeah, her journey. Yeah. She, um, she spoke about, uh, I think it was like, I've got it here, it was something about her old self, how she described it. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, look, I was learning. Oh, I'm just going to read from the book. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bit ad hoc. No, that's all right. <laughs> I was learning the new normal. Others look for us to return to being as before, to be the same as them. But the widened perception of brain injury, different ways of pacing, noticing, and being in the world is simply a new normal. It is a development of a capacity to function. The old self belongs to it before. So yeah. it's a development of a capacity to function. I love that. Yeah. It's like it's like yes. an ad. You've you've developed. Actually, you're more developed than you were before. On the other people walking around without a stroke. Are you trying to pass off a stroke as a form of higher higher order thinking or something? Well, that's what she she says. It's a, a development, to, and I, you know, and she's lived it. So I do. I don't know. I, I can. I, I kind of understand where she's coming from because you you have to overcome. Or your your brain has to rewire, and therefore it's having to do something which was never going to do in the normal run of things. It was no, my brain was never going to have to rewire itself to get around a massive hole in my head. So, um, yeah. in a way, that there, there is a, quite a remarkable achievement by my brain yeah. that it's managed to get this far. So, it, uh, but I still I can't quite get over the the normal bit, the new normal. I know it is normal to be like this, and I am in a normal situation. When I first 
sort of came out and decided, right, I'm going to work really hard to physically get back to where I was because I lost my, the right side of my body and I had to get that back. I was like, right, okay. And then when I came home, I then started getting very angry and I would always take it out on people I cared about, people I loved. Um, and I know it wasn't fair to them uh, at all. So it, it definitely has those aspects where you're like you you don't know where you are you don't know what why this has happened so there's almost some denial like well, no i should be able to do this i i did this absolutely fine a month ago i should be able to do this but it's so frustrating and almost having a look okay physically being like right okay i'm going to try and move my leg try and uh use my arm like that focused me to not be angry because i had something yeah focus on whereas when I was like right okay I can use them not greatly but I have that use I was like right okay what do I do now and I was like I'm just being told all the time oh no you're 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 not you're not as good as you you think you are oh you're not that's how it felt um and so it was then that I got really angry and frustrated so yeah mm. Are you past that now, Josh? Do you think you've passed that anger stage now? Uh, yes, I think I have. I think that I'm sort of accepting because I can look back at the person I was and be like, oh, well, he did all these experiences. That was nice for him. But then now I can, you know, I, I can look back and be like, compare myself to the person I was on the 17th of May uh, when I had my stroke. So, yes, and I think that was the big shift in my brain of, like, compare yourself to that, not the person before, who you yeah. were before. I think it's amazing yeah. that you went through a double lung transplant, which you had to have, else you weren't going to survive. But then you had a stroke, and it's almost like defeat being snatched from the jaws of victory. I don't think, <laughs> I'm not sure I could have, got past that i think i don't yeah. know if i'd have the resilience to kind of say i can live with this because i don't think i could i would think yeah what yes. have i done yeah, in I the mean, world that got me into this terrible state i mean it's it's definitely been difficult don't get me wrong and it's still difficult um but i've also got to think of it as like you've had 26 27 years of experience of resilience in cystic fibrosis. So what's a little stroke going to do after 27 years of that? So that's how, <laughs> I, how I personally think about it now. So basically you're saying that a stroke is kind of petty cash to you, isn't it? In, in comparison to, <laughs> comparison to the, your previous life. You've got a different type of perspective. And I guess that yeah. cystic fibrosis, that's, progressive that you know you de you decline with that whereas with a stroke that's non-progressive that's an event in this in a sense that actually yeah those two are very different in perspective and your outlook i guess and and yeah a very unique journey actually isn't it yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes which you wouldn't wish on anybody else that's for sure that but it exactly. is interesting what you said, which is that um, a lot, like a lot of progressively degenerative diseases um, and conditions, 
a stroke, it all happens very quickly. Yeah. In, in half a day, I went from being a perfectly normal human being to being in a, a basket case. Um, and the only way is up. And at least you can yes. improve with a stroke. I mean, the only way is to improve. You, you you don't necessarily get any worse unless you have another stroke. But is it, but it's not entirely in your, your own hands. I yeah. think that's what's fr frustrating is I, I can't run a timeline for this. I can't say, well, in three months' time, I'll be able to do this, this, and this, because I, I simply don't know, because there are parts of my life I have no control over, and I find that yeah. very frustrating, I suppose. Yeah. And, Someone and so, else that's had a stroke with, with the same, you know, difficulties after their stroke, it, it's so individual, like the brain. I think that's what you've got to remember, that we've all got different brains. You know, they might look... You know, they, they might function, they might have the same functions, but actually how we use them, because we're all different people, that, that does have an impact on recovery as well. And they can't, they can't account for that when they talk about recovery. Yes, I know. And with, like, cystic fibrosis, Josh, you know, they talk about, like, life expectancies, don't they? So they try and put that timeline, like an end. Yeah. It was like, like, I was they don't. From a very young age, that yeah. I was, my life expectancy was 30. It was a massive shift in my head to be like, oh God, you could have another 30 years, 40 years now, now that you've had, you've had your transplant. Okay, you've had a stroke. But like, I had to talk to a psychologist because I was like, what, what do I do? What, what, what do I, what do I actually do with my life? Like, <laughs> I had a and, and so I was like, but I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do now, uh, especially with sort of the difficulties with stroke and stuff like that. And I was like, but I've got this time. Like, I don't know what, what I'm going to do with it all. So, yes, it was very sort of weird and confusing for my brain to sort of understand. But, you know, and it's, it's understanding now. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I would like to do this. I'd like to do that. And, but I still sort of like at the moment, and with COVID and everything have just sort of easing off now, it's definitely been like, okay, we're well, just going to meet the moment, not going to think about what you're going to do in the future too much in the, uh, the far future anyway. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important, like about present, you know, yes. past, present and future, that especially when you're in recovery, you know, it, for, from a stroke, it's like, naturally you're going to be thinking a lot about future and like you know when you have your physiotherapy there'll be like an element about goals and you know that you've got to reach and actually there's a lot you know even that you want to get better as well like that's a very much I want to get to this point or if you've got an yes. event coming up like so-and-so is getting married and you're like well I want to be able to do this by the time the wedding happens you know there's all these like milestones in front of you but to actually just be in the present and understand I guess that's where the emotional side comes through, and 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 that you know that book that I mentioned earlier was it was about mindfulness, and that is very much in the present. And actually, I wonder in the process of recovery and stroke, how much you just get to be in the present and actually yeah. process the feelings, because I guess you could feel trapped with what you're you know experiencing in the in in the moment, but actually being having an opportunity to process those and i guess maybe that's where the psychological support can come in sometimes yes so, yeah. that's the thing i think that definitely for the first sort of like six months a year i was so focused on 
the present, the present. Oh, no, well, like, oh, goals, I'm going to do this. I'm going yeah. to uh, get my leg back to how it was. And then when I looked at the present, I was like, oh, I don't like what I'm seeing now. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah. And it's like, how do I process that in a, like a safe In a healthy space? way. Yeah, in a healthy way. Because, you know, if you are kind of not having an opportunity to process those feelings you're in that sense of like denial again and maybe avoidance and and yes you know and I guess that's where acceptance comes in isn't it that actually okay you know my my leg isn't working as well as it used to but I accept that and I will now try and you know it's that it's not just jumping ahead and being like it will work it will do this it's just actually okay I understand why why it's not doing this and I've accepted that yeah big thing was that so I used to have a 40 minute walk to get to the gym and then get back so what I end up doing would be like right you're going to think and live in the presence on your walk to the gym you're going to go to the gym where you're going to be completely blank and sort of just exercise and then you're going to walk back to the gym and think and be in the present and then you're going to be like right I'm actually going to think about other things so it was almost like a bit of a timeline oh, I, I gave myself the space to think but I also yeah. didn't think too much because that made me feel really down mm. um so yeah I just it worked for me I don't know if it would ever work for anyone else um but it's finding a space where you're like half an hour something like that where you can just be like okay I, I I'm not happy but it's got it's a little bit better today than it was yesterday There is a very funny part of that, which is that when I go out walking now, now in now, now we've got lockdown and everything, that I I feel trapped in the present. Like I can't go back to what I was, and I can't really plan for the future because I'm not sure how I'm going to be. So, but I feel slightly trapped in this present moment, which isn't always a nice feeling you know what I mean yeah and lockdown I think that is you know with the whole pandemic and lockdown that triggers so much of any past experience or feelings where we have felt trapped or we have experienced loss of freedom and independence or you know it's 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 a trauma you know actually being put into somewhere where you're trapped and and that you don't have that hope. And I think we, we mentioned that, didn't we, before? It's like the lockdown and the pandemic is like this, you know, it's, it's so restricting. Yeah, it is. It's a parallel. It's, and it's restricting. And I just wonder, you know, how the stroke survivors, that that is taking them right back to that day and when they yes. realised and, and that, they're, that they're stuck in a situation that makes them feel uncomfortable or anxious or worried yeah. or fearful or, yeah. Definitely. You originally talked about um, that kind of psychological recovery process, which is you kind of ring fence the loss side of it. 
and that you kind of grow around that. But I'm not entirely sure I understand what you mean by that. Mm. Are you kind so, of parking it somewhere? Well, with so I think and and with like bereavement, for example, and this definitely translates over into loss. You know, we talk about the the when you've you've suffered a bereavement that will that will affect you so let's let's talk about it as a stroke so you've 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 suffered a loss you've suffered a stroke and that is now part of you that's part of your you know life story yes your book your makeup everything that's in there but you can't take that away you know that is in there as in history wise but what you can do is you know grow around it so like with 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 a with a bereavement you you can't get rid of that that's happened, but what you can do is, you know, create a, I'm trying to, I think before I explained it as there was, um, um, you know, like if you imagine like a circle as your life and who you are, and then um, when a loss happens, um, that there's like loads of dots now within that circle. So it looks different Um, and it might be confusing and it might, you know, you don't recognize that. Um, But then what you can do is you can, take that part of you and that's still there that's part of who you are in your experience but you can actually draw a circle around that and then you grow around it so it's still there but it's a lot it gets smaller so it doesn't engulf the whole of who you are it's actually just a part in the middle or wherever it is and then you grow a big a bigger circle around it and I think with stroke recovery it can really grow a new part of who you are does that make sense have I described that yes yeah Definitely. So you can't ever get rid of it, but you can expand around it and and kind of park it somewhere in a part of your life. It's happening. Not quite the same thing, though, is it? In like in your archives. What? So you 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 know that. Yes. Yes. There's something in that you know you've got your filing cabinet of who you are with all your files and all the different parts of you and actually you know there was this massive file that was put in on the event of your stroke that took up the whole filing cabinet (laughs) yes and 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 that's what it was all about for a long time but actually if you work through that and work out what you need and what you don't need in that file that's going to get smaller and then eventually you might even want to archive that. It'll still exist, but actually there'll be much more room in the filing cabinet for you to put new files in and grow yeah. your life about what whatever you want, whatever you choose. Yes, definitely. And I think I think that that sort of comes to sort of accepting it, accepting it happened, being like, right, okay, but I'm not going to let this affect my whole life and what I want. I'm going to make a reasonable and that's the, the, these like the the most important word reasonable sort of like right okay what am I going to achieve? You know, obviously, if you're in a really bad state, that might not be possible. But you know, for me, for example, I was like right okay, this happened, um, but I'm going to sort of try and you know like push the boundaries of it a bit to see where I can I'll be like okay well that's that was too much I feel exhausted and have like three days in bed uh because I uh went out for a weekend um whereas like okay if I went out for a week on a a, like a a day then actually and I had like a more chill day the next one like oh maybe I can do that and so it's sort of almost like accepting 
the limits of you, but not uh, always thinking about it. Yeah, understanding your limit, that your limit line's changed, hasn't it? Yeah. Your, your like, capacity of what you can, can do has changed maybe quite drastically, but actually you can push that back out, but you just have to do it slowly. Yeah. I always felt that I didn't want the stroke to define me. That was yeah. very important. I didn't want to end up with a life story which said, oh, he went to art school and he was a graphic designer all these years and he and then he, then he retired and he, well, we, he had a family and everything like that. Uh, then he retired and then soon after he retired, he had a stroke at the end. And I didn't want it yeah. to be that story. I wanted yeah. something to continue after that. And I was kind of hoping that it wasn't going to be the stroke that defined the next part of my life because I was only 65 when I had the strokes, mm. which to me was, you know, unbelievable really. But I realized that if I kept thinking like that, that actually wasn't going to work out like that. It was going to be the stroke did for him basically. And so I've always wanted it to have, once I've taken on board that I couldn't ever get rid of the stroke mm. as a kind of mental concept, I had to kind of make use of it somehow. Yeah. And I suppose um definitely podcast. That's how one of the ways. Isn't it just? In fact, I've ended up not only is it acceptance, I don't know, but I've ended up talking about the very thing I never wanted. And that's a weird thing, isn't it? So you you're not in a war against it, you're actually on the same team. So it's that accepting of like it probably felt like you were very much in a battle yes. and that you were on two sides, uh, you against the stroke. But then there's this element of actually, if we join the same team, we're an army and we're so much stronger and look what we can achieve and look what we can face. But it's that part of that you need to, you know, shake hands with it. Yes. To- yeah. Exactly. You've got to accept it as it happened but then try and make something good out of it. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I was like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do in my head. I was like, I, I, cause I used to be a teacher. I was like, I can't do teach anymore because of all the germs and all the stuff uh, like that. And so I was like, right, what am I going to do? And then obviously this podcast um, now with the stroke. So it's like, okay, well, we have this podcast we can do. I have talks that I was doing before the lockdown about sort of my experiences and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's now accepting it and becoming part of my story, um, which does feel very helpful and healing in a way. And I think that's the thing. It's like talking about it has helped heal uh, me, but hopefully other people as well. Mm-hmm. There was something we discussed before, which was the idea of uh, meaning, meaning Mm. and purpose in life. Um, And you said you you thought that was a kind of basic human characteristic, that you had to have meaning and purpose. And I was wondering how how that was defined in kind of psychotherapy terms. Mm. Yeah, I think that we... Uh, so when we spoke before, I think we, um, I spoke a bit about um, finding meaning. And I think, did we speak about archetypes and shadows? Yes. Like archetypes, yeah. So it was um, kind of a Carl Jung, a Jungian um, 
kind of idea or concept that, um, you know, if you want to think about, um, the, I think he calls it the collective unconscious. So there's like these qualities um, within a human, but they might not necessarily be um, a person, like they might not be kind of there in front of you, you know, they might actually be kind of underlying and what we kind of yeah. look for is um well what you can do is kind of split yourself up into kind of different parts of yourself and find meaning in those and with Jung he explored different archetypes so like they'd be like the the warrior or the you know or the, the, the victim or you know or the queen or the wise old man you know there's all these different kind of what we we know what they mean but if you saw them physically in front of you you'd have to have like an idea like a conscious like a an understanding of why that relates to you just right does that kind of make sense so it's like yes. actually and and what I, I, I explore with clients in counseling is that especially when they feel like that they're only that that this one part is defining them that you know they might feel like the failure or, yeah. or the victim or that actually to, to kind of open up their mind and to, to get them to think about other parts of their self and that actually yes you can have that you know what might be described as a shadow as some people see as maybe more of a uh, kind of a negative side but actually it, it's not it's part of you and yeah. it's there for a reason and and also you have a lot of control over what you want to include and what what you at different points of your life you know you're not you don't have to be defined by something that's that's happened to you in the past if you explore that you know it very much it's like for example if I said about you know the student part and the teacher part you're going to get to a point as the student when you know what you're doing and you're more of an expert and actually that part then transitions into teacher you know there's there's a lot where, and, and I think what we were talking about before is that in, in regards to kind of a human need of wanting that meaning, purpose, and then maybe that giving that sense of hope um, is kind of what we strive for. I think it's when we get kind of hopeless and we lose meaning and we don't feel like we have a purpose, that's when we really struggle, understandably. Yeah. And that's possibly what happens when, you know, you have a stroke that there's this, you feel that you're, there's a helplessness and there's a hopelessness, isn't there? Of like, oh, totally. Where can I yes. Yeah. In fact, I would say hopeless and helpless was a defining part of my life for quite, yes, quite a few months actually, in a year or so, where I didn't have any meaning or purpose to my life, uh, and that that sense of hope of what I could do because I felt I hadn't done anything, so to speak, or I hadn't. My life wasn't over, but but it could so easily have been over that I had to have some kind of meaning to my life. I didn't think I ever saw it in those terms, but I can see now you've talked about it, that meaning and purpose was really the whole reason for me doing the podcast, I think, with Josh. Well, we yeah, needed that, like, didn't we? That's good. It's, it's, I, I realised that I was alive, but I wasn't living. That, that, I think mm. that was again was like a massive thing was me being mm. like I'm existing but I'm not actually enjoying my life I'm not yes. uh, doing anything other than just existing to just like eat food and go to sleep 
Um, <laughs> but having this podcast and other things as well has really sort of like helped me go, right, okay, I actually have something to live for, something to yeah. something, someone who needs me to turn up on the Zoom calls because otherwise Stephen would be left on his own, just like, you know, and so it's almost like that requirement of, okay, I need other people, but they always also need me and feel needed. So, yeah. I, you know, who, you talk about I was existing and it's like I was existing, but who was I existing for? What was I existing for? You know, it's that. And, and actually, you know, it doesn't have to always be for other people. It can be for yourself and you take that control of yourself and what you want to achieve and the difference and that you want to make if you want to make a difference, I think. You know, a stroke really probably, you know, it really gives you that um, that existential point of why am I here? I've got this opportunity to, I've been given this opportunity. I've been given time. I've been yeah. given another chance. How am I going to use it? Whereas I think when you haven't had that life-changing event, you don't know what you've got or what you could have. Yes. Definitely. I totally, it's, it's, I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Yeah. So the the essence of all of this is hope. Mm. Is, that, is that the right way of looking at it? Is that we're, we're hoping for something? Or we always have to have this sense of hope. Otherwise, the whole thing just runs into the sand, doesn't it? Mm. Without that. Yeah. And I think it also is to be kind to yourself if you have moments where you do feel hopeless or you don't have that sense that actually that's okay, it will come. You know, you will you will find something, you will find a sense of meaning, you will find, you know, a purpose. It's just you might have a different set of stages than you had a year ago of how you were going to get there. Yes. And, and that's the thing. It's like, so I I made a decision that I was going to sort of like live for other people um, after when I had my stroke, sort of like a month after I was like, right, I'm going to live for other people's sakes. And then it was like, I slowly began being like, oh, actually, I... I'm happy to be living myself. So it, you know, it wasn't immediate, but it was like, right, once I made that decision of being there for other people, I then realized, oh, I'm actually enjoying my life now. And I have moments where I'm like, oh, I'm really glad I'm alive. And so that and I think that's that's the repeating sort of like almost like ping pong effect that like friends and family and people can give you as in like, okay, you look for them you do stuff you you were there for them and they also give it to you back so mm. yeah worth it's worth and value isn't it you know what you were describing there it's like actually sometimes you need others to kind of help you understand your own self-worth yes. and self-belief and why I'm here and that's a really good kind of transition of yeah. getting back to that point of I'm here for me and yeah. all this extra stuff is is an add-on again. Can I just go back to something about the the grieving cycle? I was interested in the the idea that when your family are grieving for you, so to speak, because they've they've gone through a grief process as well. 
because I used to be a dad and a husband and everything like that. And then I ended up in hospital and they're running around trying to cope with the situation. Um, And as I come out of this stroke and have some kind of recovery, they are also having to go through a grief cycle of what I used to be and trying to cope with all of that and the new me. And I, I kind of, I'm always very conscious of, I must be a new person to them and they must be yeah. grieving for the old person mm. assuming they like the old person but i'm kind of mm. hoping they did but do, are they liking the new person as well that's the, the kind of interesting one for me is yeah. that they must be having to cope with a hell of a lot to just uh because i was one person to them for all these years and then suddenly in a day i'm a completely different person yeah Exactly. No, they will, you know, they, they all go through their own kind of grief cycle as well. And I think that maybe there's something in you kind of talking about have realised actually they were on their own cycle yes. in regards to how I was. Well, thanks to psychotherapist Lucy Felton for putting into words what's going on in our minds. The book she quoted from is Mindfulness and Stroke by Jodie Mardula. The Kubler-Ross Grief Cycle, as it's called, is a way of explaining the most common emotional and psychological reactions to personal traumatic events. The cycle includes denial, anger, bargaining and depression. Within these stages there is loss, shock and resignation. Really, the fun never stops. Ultimately, there's acceptance and the search for meaning and purpose, which Josh and I now realise is why we're making this podcast series. Virtually everyone who has a brain injury eventually sets out on the long, hard road of the grief cycle. Wherever you are, we wish you hope. And you can email us at whatmemory2 at hotmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-M-E-M-O-R-Y, followed by the numeral 2, at hotmail.com and check us out on Instagram at what underscore memory two to join Brushstrokes the art workshop for stroke survivors in Bedford contact Lucy at Brushstrokes Bedford or one word at gmail.com What Memory is our personal podcast any views expressed are purely our own or the personal views of our guests we are not expressing the views of any organisation or business Many thanks to our amazing sound editor, Jamie Rutherford, professional sound producer and fellow brain injury survivor. Okay, we're done. The only thing we know for sure after brain injury is that the future is unknown and daunting, but it's only going to be brighter if we plan for it to be that way. Bye for now.